welcome to the latest episode of the Manufacturing IT Podcast. I'm joined today by Francisco Lobo, uh, CEO of Critical Manufacturing, MES Vendor. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Daniel. It's a pleasure being here with you. Oh, I appreciate you joining us, Francisco. So um, for those of you who don't know who Critical Manufacturing are, they're a Gartner leader within the Magic Quadrant for MES, uh, scoring very highly in a number of categories. So maybe, Francisco, you could start by giving us a bit of an overview into um, the business that you, uh, that you manage. Yeah, very good. So uh, Critical Manufacturing is a company founded in uh, 2009. Um, it started actually uh, with a group of persons that came from a semiconductor background. Um, and uh, this group decided to create a new product from the scratch in, in the MES area uh, because we didn't believe that the market was sufficiently well served in this, in this area. Um, there were a number of technologies that for different reasons were not getting in sufficiently fast um, into, into the business. Um, these type of technologies were used in other areas, uh, just not within manufacturing. Uh, and we felt there was a really good opportunity of doing that. So we started the business. Um, of course, the uh, semiconductor is a very complex uh, segment to be in, mm. but that, that, that was one in which you know, we had experience in the past. Um, and so we, we launched it um, and we went from semiconductor into adjacent type of segments. Uh, today we work for semiconductor, SMT, uh, medical devices and other, let me say, general discrete um, mm. type of type of segments, um, and this has been quite a journey. Um, I mean, obviously, in the very beginning, in a kind of a startup mode, you know, nothing works as you uh, <laughs> wanted it to work. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, from around 2011 onwards, things have been progressing incredibly well. Mm. Um, to the point in which, you know, last year, uh, we even during a pandemic year, we grew something like 70% year on year. Uh, wow. So the growth, the growth has been has been tremendous. Um, um, very good that Carton recognizes us as a, as a, as a leader. Uh, also a very high scoring in a number of areas, like you said, um, in the critical capabilities, which is the basis for uh, the scorings that then uh, uh, create the magic quadrant. So you know, very, very happy with these results. Very happy with recognition, and very happy with how the business is going today. Yeah, no, it, it, it's great to hear. I, I think you and I connected on LinkedIn maybe kind of four or five years ago and um, kind of watched the, the growth of the business from afar. So you're, you're I think, what, about 350 employees on, on LinkedIn I saw, you know, how have you grown that business and what's been the key to the success that you've had? Yeah, I mean, we've um, started with a few customers and, you know, the MES business and selling an MES is, um, is a quite... Um, you know, it's, it's quite challenging, it's quite an endeavor. And, uh, you know, uh, we started with some, some companies and we started growing uh, the, the number of companies. We started going into more and more complex um, uh, type of manufacturing plants. Um, and then there was, from a certain point onwards, there was kind of a breakthrough when we started going into multiple plants. Okay. It, it was tremendously important. And we started, you know, I, I remember some years back, we were very excited when we started having the first company that had two plants, three plants. And now we're talking about companies that have 40 plants, 50 plants, wow. you know, so wow. it's, it's, uh, the market is, is, uh, is really uh, exploding for us. And of course, there's a number of challenges that come, that comes with this, uh, with this, uh, with this growth. Um, but, you know, we're very, very, very happy that, we, that we're dealing with it. Yeah, no, it, it's an interesting one because there's some some pretty household names on that list of in the of Magic Quadrant that you guys are, you know, progressing ahead of and, and getting into to great companies. So, yeah, it's a lot of kudos to, to yourself. So, um, 
you're a software business. Do you implement the um, the software yourselves, or do you use a partner network? What's your kind of business model on that front? Yeah, it's 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 a very interesting question because you know there was kind of a plan in the beginning. We always considered ourselves as a, a product company, right? Yeah. So what we wanted to do is product, and even these, I may say, the success we're enjoying today has to with the amount of efforts, with the amount of investment that we have put in R&D. Mm. Um, and we're continuously doing that, right? So we're not just, you know, putting a few versions out and then trying to, you know, milk it. <laughs> you know, what we're trying yeah. to do is keep on investing and putting new technologies and putting a, a lot of a lot of effort uh, behind this. Uh, we always consider us to be um, a company that would sell uh, and that would implement via system integrators. Okay. Um, but then there's the shock of reality. Um, yeah. And we're not able to do that. And so we had to create our own ways of doing our own implementations, of creating our own teams and growing our own teams. And it mm. has been going quite well, let me say, until two, three years ago, in which we said, okay, if we continue to grow like this, then we have to hire really a huge amount of persons. So just yeah. for the record, we, we hired around 100 persons uh, last year. Uh, wow. Plus an acquisition that we've done uh, in, in in China, in a company just to in, increase uh, our our presence in the market. The plans for this year is to hire additional 200 persons. So <laughs> if you look at these numbers, these numbers are, are are quite incredible. But this means, or is meant to us, that we need to go back and um, try to uh, enforce again a a partner uh, strategy with sure. integrators around the globe. So we were able to do that. Um, and again, you know, we didn't start off very well because it was very difficult to get the system integrators on board, uh, to get the proper training, and there's a lot of maturity that we had to go through. Uh, so today, you know, we have partner enablement, which is becoming quite professional with a lot yes. of uh, e-learnings, uh, certifications, and things like that. Uh, we're having something like 40 to 50 persons each month uh, that get certified uh, from partner companies. And so, okay. you know, this area has been quite, uh, um, um, is becoming quite strong over time. Um, and we're dealing with two levels of partners, one which are the specialists, you know, uh, companies that are smaller companies that operate within specific segments or geographies. Uh, and then we have global partners that can ensure us this, you know, big uh, multi-site, multi-plant type of deals and, sure. um, you know, allow us to extend our existing teams. So we still do a lot of the services, a lot of the implementation yeah. ourselves. And this is important even for large um, uh, deals. It's typically important that we do the first plants and prove that it can work and it works yeah. well. Um, and then when it gets to a, a massive scale, uh, then work with system integrators. No, it's an interesting one. And I think that's always the challenge for companies like yourselves that come on and and as you say, start having success with one, two, three, four plants, but then you win projects that are 40 plants globally. You know, how do you service those customers and maintain that, that level of service and quality? So uh, tremendous numbers in terms of hiring and growth. So, you know, it, it, it's great to see. I know the MES market from our perspective as a recruitment side is absolutely booming. I think everybody, it, it's an arms race for talent. So um, how, how have you managed to sustain that growth of hiring and, and how, what's the what's been the kind of goal there? Yeah, I, I think it's all the, it all has to do with the right mix um, between two things. One is the level of experience, right? We want to have on one side people that are very experienced uh, in this area and that can sustain the high number of you know, more junior persons that we have to hire, yeah. right? So the right mix is one of the things uh, which is um, which is uh, uh, incredibly, incredibly important. Uh, the other thing is that 
there's a mixture of you know software people people that yeah. come from software engineering and industrial engineering type of background yes and to have persons with this right mix is, is difficult and it's it's challenging um and you know the these two strategies at the same time are the ones that make our team stronger uh, yeah. going forward uh, but of course it's it's a, it's a challenge because you know uh, in terms of software business uh, typically industry was not considered to be you know very sexy we're trying yeah. to change that image um, as we put new technologies and as we put ourselves at the forefront of the uh, industry for a role type of technology smart manufacturing uh, that's helping a lot uh, yeah. our our positioning um, but it's um it, it's a permanent challenge to be able to attract those persons particularly with a scarcity of uh, engineers globally um, yeah. and uh, with some business set that the first glance may sound more sexy um, but yeah. then at the end you know we can we can show that uh, there's a lot in terms of technology that we can use and it's very exciting to uh, to be working in this area no definitely and i think from from my side the, the, the bit that always is it's fascinating is that MES being the convergence of IT and OT, and, and typically there's always a bit of a, um, a gap between whether people think coming from an OT background, you get a better understanding of MES versus coming from an IT background. What, what's your take on that, Francisco? Where, where do you think you can secure the best MES resources from background-wise? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that for a number of years, people are talking about this conversions between IT and OT. Um, and I think it's finally happening. Um, mm. You know, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening. When we started the MES business, we we're talking about the pure core MES. Um, and then we started going into, because of the uh, automatic or uh, uh, plants uh, and the, the needs to ensure connectivity and so on, we went down to the um, interfacing to equipment and so on. So we went mm. more into the um, into the OT world. Um, and later we went into the analytics area. So we kind of yeah. complement, we call this automation, execution and analytics. These are the kind of okay. three levels that, that, we, that we're talking about. Um, but then there was a revolution, which was the IoT. Um, mm. And all of a sudden it was not just about, you know, connecting to um, existing standard interfaces and so on but the the factory plants the shop floors were full of different iot devices mm. um, and these iot devices would have to uh, first of all be integrated into the overall landscape they would have to serve um, what we call the data platforms uh, of solutions yeah. that will grab all this data and provide value-added analytics solutions um, and these were IT solutions so at the, at, at the end you know they they got blended together um, mm. And uh, and um, of course, there's still space for the one for the persons that are more dealing with the more technology side of things, and the other ones for the more uh, you know workflow related type of work. Um, sure. But it is a fact that things are converging, and there's space for for these areas um, from coming from both sides. So it's exciting that we really see this converging finally after this amount of years. No, and I, and I think this can only help attract people to, you know, sexy manufacturing, because as you say, uh, and I, I spoke to somebody earlier this week on the podcast as well, and he mentioned the difference between the, the carpeted side of the business and then, the, the, you know, the concrete side of the business. And I guess it's always been a challenge to, to move people into manufacturing, because as you say, maybe sexier companies may be doing more things in the kind of commercial IT space. But with this convergence and, and industry football, I know, connected devices it does make it a bit more inspiring for the next generation of professionals coming through yeah, um, yeah. and and there's a number of and there's a number of areas and again uh, whenever i talk to, to people on this you know if you think about um you know 
cloud-related developments, edge-related developments, mm. uh, solutions like augmented reality, chatbots, um, application of machine learning algorithms in the science. You know, all of this is here. Yes. Right? So we cannot be more excited in this. Of course, it has to do with the right, painting the right picture and positioning as positioning the right way. Uh, but there's a huge amount of exciting technologies that are taking place and they are transforming what we thought about were, you know, the MES space in the past and how this yeah. is uh, becoming uh, in, the, in the present. Well, I, I've been recruiting in the MES space for six or seven years now, and I've seen a, a significant change in that from, you know, the traditional monolithic systems to the maybe kind of more cloud-based, more agile systems. You know, over the, the time, you know, you've been involved with critical manufacturing, what, what have you seen as the kind of main change in the MES space, maybe from a client perspective in the kind of conversations that you're, you're, you're having? Yeah, and, and this has to do also with the level of customers, as I told you before. Um, so as we as we start having uh, uh, larger customers with multiple plans, you know, all the things around where do we host the systems be, became yeah. uh, extremely extremely important. Um, but then it all got complicated because it's uh, first of all it's uh, cloud based or on premise. There's kind of still a struggle between the two. Mm -hmm. um, there are more conservative uh, companies than, than less more advanced companies or companies that are more uh, open to uh, to different yeah. different cloud systems. Um, there's a lot of reasons why some of the things need to be on edge, and so there's a lot of hybrid uh, solutions yeah. at the same time. Uh, when you come into cloud, there's a huge amount of variations because clouds are not always not all the same, right? Yeah. You can you can deploy into private clouds, public clouds. Uh, you can have Azure, AWS. If you go into China, there's different clouds as well. Sure. And so we have to deal with all these different complexity. Uh, and there's a, there's a discipline that was born some years uh, ago, which is the DevOps discipline. Um, yeah. And this DevOps discipline and the way to deal with this and the uh, effects in, in terms of uh, technology that drove solutions into containerized solutions, yes. uh, into usage of uh, Kubernetes. Uh, and everything like that has transformed the space of MES, you know, I think forever. Um, yeah. And the companies that are more advanced that can deal with all this complexity and can make this complexity look simple uh, <laughs> are the ones that will be able to succeed in the future. And that's kind of the movement that, that we're done. And I think we're quite ahead of the game uh, in, these, uh, in these areas as well. We're not the only one. Fortunately, there's, there's other uh, forward-looking companies that are also doing the same, sure. but we are within those groups of companies that are doing this. And, and how do you stay ahead of that curve, or at least at the forefront of that curve? Keep, uh, <laughs> we, we keep investing. We say, you know, uh, we typically joke with this. We say we spend as much in R&D as some other companies spend in marketing. Um, and, uh, yeah. you know, ultimately, you know, at, in the longer term, this pays off. Um, yeah. And because we're a relatively young company, right, starting in 2019, so we are 13 years. Um, and we've done a number of technology, complete technology changes in our product already. Yes. Right. Because, you know, technology changed dramatically from 2009 to 2022. Yeah. Uh, and if we fail to recognize that, uh, then we're stuck um, and, and simply doesn't work. Um, yeah. I, no, that's an interesting one. And I guess the shift from the traditional one premise to the, the cloud based MES is, is a dramatic one. Are you seeing a, a huge demand for more cloud based MES applications or and implementations, or are you still finding? Companies keen for that on-premise solution. We still find we still find both. You know, honestly, I think it's a matter of time. Um, yeah. I think it's a matter of time. Um, but uh, currently, we still have kind of I don't know maybe more than half still wanting solutions on-premise. Um, but we're seeing more and more companies 
being open to the to the to the cloud base. The, the interesting thing with the technology that we've put together and uh, around around the containerization is that it, it allows actually customers to not having to do one of those decisions and stick with it. They can change their yeah. minds along the way. And this is extremely important because they can start by, you know, starting on premises because they're not really, you know, comfortable with it or because they want to seize and use uh, hardware that exists and later move into the cloud. Or they can start the other way around, starting the cloud and then, you know, something that is a aha moment for many of customers is then when they see the amount of cost, the cost that goes into into cloud, yeah. and then later decides to invest <laughs> on premise. You know, so all these variations are now possible. So it's a brand new world right now. You don't have to stick with one of those. You can try different things. Um, the concerns that exist around security and so on are, to a certain extent, uh, vanishing a bit because companies yeah. understand that they're even sometimes or quite always uh, more secure with uh, big cloud host <laughs> systems than what they what they can do on their on their own mm. um, and um, and so this is uh, this is progressing and companies are becoming more more open to this. No, I think that's it. It's a natural evolution, of course. And you know, in your time in the space, and we, we spoke about maybe some of the things that have improved. And what about the things that maybe haven't improved or things that need to improve? Is there like a common theme that you're you're seeing that things could do with improving better and quicker? Yeah, I, I think overall in, in the industry, you know, there, there's a couple of things. First of all, the MES is still very, uh, very close business mm. because it's very verticalized, maybe, yeah. um, and for historical reasons. Like if you go into the, let me say, the ERP world for comparison or the PLM world, you can really understand the different solutions in the market, what they do, how they position themselves, what type of technologies they use and so on. If you try to understand the same about MES, you get lost very easily. Yeah. Um, so there's still a long way to go in terms of um, you know adopting standards, making things more open, um, and so there's a plenty of evolution that needs to happen there on the let me say on the vendor side, on the ecosystem, on the ecosystem side. Um, so I think that this is one. Uh, another one has to do with the, the process part of the of the MES. You know, there's groups like the Mesa Group that's doing that doing yeah. a, a great a great job there. Um, but for instance. If you do a multi-site, a large multi-site deployment, there's a number of uh, approaches, um, uh, methods, processes to do these programs um, with uh, centers of excellence. How can you yeah. template things so that the deployments can be done easily? Uh, what is the global perspective of these solutions and what is the local freedom that you provide to different plants and different sites? for the specificities that they may have. So there's a huge amount of processes which are not yet widespread. Um, and frequently with new customers, we have to explain them how, how this works, where, and there could be more that the industry could be doing about this in order to make this, uh, to make this easier. Uh, because again, these type of companies that are multi-site based on expansion, based on merging acquisitions, or based on yeah. anything like that, is becoming more the norm than the exception. Um, yeah, and I, and I guess as as you've grown as a business and working on those large multinational multi-site projects, you get to get that more experience and more you know awareness of what other companies are doing and how things have been done. So you can help lead the customer just as much as, as support them on their journey. Correct, correct. Um, that's uh, that's kind of a natural a natural a natural path. Um, mm -hmm. But again, there could be more resources. Uh, let me put it this way: um, beyond what Mesa is doing, uh, there could be more resources for doing this and helping 
um, helping companies gather sufficient knowledge and sufficient information, getting sufficient training so that they can then lead their projects on the other side. Because, you know, one thing that we keep saying, and I say this all the time, you know, it's um, if you put the responsibility of a successful MES implementation is only something like 30% comes from the vendor. Wow. You know, wow. 70% is on the other side. Um, and I think this is a number which, when I when I talk about this, people say, "Okay, so what what do you mean? Do you mean you cannot ensure that it goes smooth?" You know, no, I cannot. Yeah. Right. And unless you have the right people, the right level of commitment, the right champions, the right attitude, um, then this is a very transforming business. So obviously, um, you know, if you're not on board on this, um, you know, it, it won't work. Um, and, and and that's a very important message to pass across. No, definitely. And, and so, you know, as, as the business has grown and, and you're working on those larger scale projects, are you finding you're having to have those discovery conversations with leaders of businesses and then maybe tell them, we don't think you're maybe ready for this or you, you've not got the right, you know, foundation or the right people on board. Are you finding you're having more of those conversations? Yeah, it's kind of the elephant in the room because nobody yeah. in sales wants to do that, right? So if I, if I get to my sales team and tell them, you know, don't, let's not go there. Yeah, but yeah, but they're ready to, to pull the trigger. I know, but maybe they're not, they're not exactly ready. Uh, yeah. And it takes a lot of, uh, takes a lot of uh, uh, education. And uh, quite frequently, we have done that in a number of cases, uh, but it's still a difficult thing to do. Um, and quite frequently, this is not done in the early phases, which means we start the project and then what happens is that we have to do this during the project. Of course, that, which is the worst case scenario because- Which, is, uh, which yeah. can become quite, uh, quite troublesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I spoke to a, a CIO from a, a big pharma company a couple of weeks ago and we spoke about their digital transformation. And the biggest challenge he said was, was the skill shortage and not having, you know, as you mentioned, the right people on board to, to make these projects a success. And um, I put a poll out on LinkedIn and, and, and overwhelmingly it was also the case that you know, the skill shortage and not having the right people on board is, is the main showstopper for, for this transformation. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the skill shortage? Is it a case that there'll always be this skill gap and it's the job of the vendor or the integrator to, to bridge that gap? Or do you think more can be done to, to kind of close it? Yeah, more, more is being done. So, um, yes, on one side, uh, um, you know, a system integrator can be a tremendous, tremendous help. Um, on the other side, we always... Um, try to promote um, different ways for people to get the right level of education, like the, mm. again, uh, the MES education program is, yeah. is, is one of such. Um, one thing that we're doing quite frequently is even before we start any project, uh, we have this um, complete training program uh, with e-learnings and, and with these, these kind of things. And we put that uh, for the customers to start going through the entire thing, even before we, we okay. kick off the project, okay? And this is extremely important because they get to understand that, okay, maybe some of the conceptions they have are not exactly correct. Uh, and also this opens up new things that they never thought of, right? And so <laughs> okay. this makes the, the project at the end much much more spot on uh, to, the, to, the, to the things that can be done and to even some quicker wins because, you know, a project is something, an MES project, which can typically take, you know, many months to complete. Um, you need to have a lot of successes, successes along the way, right? Yes. And these successes are important for the team, are important to show the companies that the progress is well and there's gains in this investment that is being done. Um, and, um, you know, having some quicker wins and then having some of the more difficult things to come up later is usually a nice, a nice strategy. So getting this upfront training, upfront information um, and upfront education 
uh, is extremely important towards also making that success plan, which is necessary. And that's that's your investment to the customer before the project starts, because Correct. ultimately the project success at the back end where your reputation is, you know, dependent on, on them getting un that understanding. So you're, you're giving that as the, the starting point. Correct. Exactly correct. And we're doing that with partners as well, because uh, frequently there's a, there's a, there's a system integrators that are involved in that. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes they have already this uh, experience uh, that it, working with some other projects uh, together with us. Um, but if they don't, or if they have people that don't, it's very important to how also get them going through this process as well. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, so which people within the manufacturing company would you be looking to give that training and upfront education to? Who are you targeting with, with that side? Uh, we, we, we have our, our models split in, in, in three levels, but two of the most important ones are, we call them the, um, the IT portion uh, okay. and, the, and the modelers. Okay? Yeah. The, mod, the modelers are the business people. So, yes. and, this, and this is, you know, quite frequently, IT is difficult, there's a lot of shortage and so on. But I think the key of the success of the MES project lies on these modelers. So yes. these modelers are the ones that need to understand the different processes that they have. And they need to be the ones that are modeling the processes inside the software. Yes. Uh, because a wrong modeling decision can influence dramatically everything. Uh, yeah. And it's important that they understand this because, you know, um, one of the things that we say that we, if you only have the IT side of things, um, it, we put the IT side of things talking to directly to the um, to the direct business people, and they will say this is what we want, uh, and they will simply go there and code it. Right. Okay. So that's that's the, the within the nature of of, of IT. Yeah. Modelers on the other side have the responsibility to say, you know, this is the best way of putting those processes there because we want to have the right visibility, we want to have the right level of control, we want to have the right traceability information, mm. um, and we got to do this as much as possible using the standard mechanisms instead of, you know, customized code that will sure. have to fulfill those, those requirements. Um, and so it's fundamentally uh, important um, to have those persons on board and to create this mixed team with the two perspectives going on at the same time. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so those modelers, are we talk, when you say modelers, are you talking about the people in the shop floor who are actually working on the processes or IT modelers? No, 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 no. We're talking about business business persons that are working on the shop floor. You know, we yes. may talk about um, uh, process engineers. We may talk about uh, okay. equipment engineers, uh, uh, quality engineers. That's the kind of persons we're talking yeah. about, right? Yes, That's the okay. persons, they're persons that really understand their, their business and have these right needs to um, um, control those, those those processes that they run on a daily basis. And also because, you know, it's uh, if, if they if they put this, if they map this, and I, I need to reinforce this all the time, if they map this into processes the right way, um, then this is the right basis for a continuous improvement program that needs to happen all the time, right? Yeah. If they don't have this well modeled, uh, there's no sufficiently strong basis for this continuous improvement program. Yes, okay. No, that makes sense. And, and that, that echoes what I understand and, and what, what, what's been reiterated as well. So I think it, it's always interesting to hear how companies like Critical Manufacturing are doing this and, and getting that education in up front, modeling those processes. No, that's interesting. So um, one area I was keen to touch on, Francisco, is that um, obviously over the last kind of five, 10 years, we've had many buzzwords, Industry 4.0, Industrial IoT, you know, different smart manufacturing, all of these things. What, what are your thoughts on the metaverse and the metaverse within manufacturing? It's, it's an area that I'm hearing more of. It sounds sexy. It, it's definitely something interesting. What are your thoughts on 
the metaverse and manufacturing and, and how they can combine. Yeah, we we need to get into you know with baby steps into some of those things <laughs> and 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 also take those kind of hype things with a pinch of salt, right? Yes, um, because there's there's um, you know different ways to to get there. Uh, it, it's a fact that the you know the metaverse conversation is driving people to think in deep, in different ways, um, and we've been feeling that. Um, for instance, we we've put together uh, an augmented reality um, type of uh, functionality within the MES. Uh, and, okay. and so if you can imagine this, it's it's really interesting, but you know, we have to take this with a level of pragmatism. Yes. Um, right, and the level of pragmatism in our case is, okay, so um, what are the typical day-to-day -day operations that people do on a shop floor? And how can we bring some augmented reality that can be easily done, that will not take, you know, months of um, yeah. implementation of modeling, and that you can take really good um, immediate uh, uh, benefits out of this. Um, so we've we've put together a way that we can uh, around the shop floor identify um, different assets, um, being them equipment or even material products or anything like that. And using uh, glasses or using a tablet or using a phone, we can identify different elements. Yeah. And then we put within the right context, the right set of screens, the right set of operations that are necessary to operate uh, those assets. And so this is a pragmatic way to show, okay, this is what augmented reality means in our context. Yes. Okay? And the same way with, uh, with, uh, with bots, the same way with uh, you know, other uh, interesting areas, which is going beyond the buzz, going beyond the hype, and yeah. trying to make those tangible things with uh, quick results uh, with the application of those technologies. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess, you know, digital twin is the obvious entry point, mm -hmm. isn't it, to, for a lot of manufacturers and creating that. Um, and if we circle back to, you know, bringing more people into the industry and getting more excitement and more, you know, that sexy manufacturing, you know, from my perspective, that's something that, that can really be an entry point for people, understanding that convergence of IT and augmented reality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, even for us, in terms of how we position towards the labor market, um, yeah. in terms of hiring and so on, uh, there was a pre-industry photo and a post-industry photo. photo. Mm. Now, as soon as we started talking about this and the fourth industrial revolution and what did it mean for us, um, then it's almost like some of these matches is echoed uh, in a in a very different in a very different way, uh, and allowed us, as I said, to position us as at the forefront of technology, and to make them understand that uh, you know there's a lot going on here in the industry, and what we thought was the industry with just you know shop floor PLCs and people you know working in, mm. in dark and dusty places, uh, <laughs> it's not it's not what industry looks like today. Um, and this was a very important one in industry for all, despite again, some of the things and the hype, which is there, um, you know, helped us uh, in, in doing that. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and it, it's what I'm seeing in the market as well. Um, one question I was curious to find out about is, is you mentioned that the great success you've had hiring, you know, what advice would you give to, to somebody, you know, maybe one or two years experience within manufacturing, maybe coming from a shop floor and a, Decide and want to want to progress their career within digital manufacturing, yeah, MES industry 4.0. What advice would you give someone just starting out on that journey? I would say that the key to success in these areas is to understand that the MES areas and so on is a multidisciplinary area, multidisciplinary um, you know um, investment that needs to be done, um, and this needs you know again coming back to the right combination of understanding manufacturing, um, understanding yeah. manufacturing processes, and understanding technology, 
Um, and so we don't want these persons to all of a sudden learn how to code. That's not the idea. Yeah. But understand how technology can improve uh, the, the work that they do. Understand how you know, continuous improvement um, uh, programs can be implemented uh, using technology. It's essential. Um, yeah. and, and so I, I would, you know, for persons that are coming more from the shop floor area, uh, more from the uh, classical um, manufacturing area, you know, understand how technology can bring benefits um, is 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 a is an essential uh, step forward, um, and this is what I this is would be the advice that I that I would give to them. Study because there's a lot of material available for doing this, and yeah. learn learn the technology side of things. I, yeah. And I would give the, the 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 other advice for persons that are coming from technology and want to understand shop floor. You know, go down to shop floor. You know, uh, get out there. Get out. Get out of your of your computer and your desk, <laughs> uh, and uh, go see it. You know, physically because it's incredible. Even with you know persons that we hire and, and things like that, the number of persons that are working in manufacturing and never went to the shop floor. Um, it's quite yeah. amazing. So the advice we give to the other ones is that you know go there. Put your boots on and <laughs> go get away from the see. desk. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think what, what I'm seeing as well is, is Portugal, and, and that's where, correct me if I'm wrong, Francisco, that's where you're located, and, and that's the headquarters of the business. I'm definitely seeing more, more and more engineers, more and more manufacturing being in Portugal. Are you finding a, um, a bit of a technology hub there in Porto? Is that where you're based, Porto? I am based in Porto, yes. Uh, yes, it is, it is becoming a quite interesting technology hub um, yeah. for, for a number of reasons. Um, first, because um, there's a lot of universities around um, okay. and a lot of uh, engineering capacity. Um, and second, because you know, Portugal within the European context, it still has, it still has more affordable uh, labor costs. Mm. Um, and there was, a, there was a, a change that was ongoing and this change became even more tremendous during the pandemic years. Um, which is the fact that um, you know we can do business from anywhere in, in the world, yeah. um, even in manufacturing area. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and and so because because of this, um, you know, this type of engineering hubs and this type of um, uh, possibilities that that uh, exist here um, became more appealing to different to different companies. And what we're yeah. seeing is a huge number of investments. Um, you know, in different um, by different companies, by different big companies, uh, that all of a sudden are installing you know development centers, uh, excellence centers, um, you know local branches, subsidiaries um, in the in the region, and and of course creating, allowing us to create a technology ecosystem, uh, which is uh, quite incredible, quite vibrant. Uh, I I would put it this way, um, and then of course there's the you know the weather, um, and yeah. <laughs> even even if you are outside, if you just come during you know a couple of couple of uh, days to visit the city, um, you know the environment, the quality of life, from the weather, security, um, not to mention the wine, of course, um, yeah. it's, uh, it's uh, extremely uh, appealing to uh, to such to such investments. No, and I think from from a recruitment perspective, what I've started to see over the last two years or so, especially you know during COVID, is that um, yeah, as we say, remote working has, has increased. Manufacturing, um, engineering, and such can be done remotely. So I, I've seen countries like Portugal be at a bit more of the forefront of offering that digital nomads tax status and some very exciting tax benefits to people who are working remotely. So I think that's a it's a really good step by the, the country to, to really kind of expedite more professionals coming in yeah i mean the digital nomads are i think one of the one of the big bets that portugal has done 
um, yeah. with an associated flexibility, uh, a lot of tax benefits, as you said. So I think it's um, it was a I think the right strategy. And there's a number of additional things. Um, there's a you know for for product companies, uh, there's a lot of benefits around. Um, what is called the patent box type of uh, okay. tax benefits and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's an attempt, of course, to um, from a political perspective to create the right conditions so that there's a technology forefront that can you know advance the, the, the economy and the country. So so far, I think it has been quite successful in doing so. No, definitely. Well, it sounds like uh, you, you've chosen the right location from a lifestyle perspective, but also from a you know business productivity perspective. So no, that, that's great to hear. I, I guess we're approaching the end, uh, Francisco, of the episode. So what I was keen to touch on is, you know, you mentioned at the front critical manufacturing, focusing on semiconductors, discrete manufacturing, maybe some medical devices. What, what does the future hold for the business? Are you, are you looking to expand into different industry verticals? What is the, you know, if you can, or how much can you share? I don't know, but what is maybe kind of the outlook looking like over the next few years for you? Yeah, I, I think, you know, um, in general, um, we're still expanding our three main markets. Okay, we'll okay. continue to expand um, geographically um, even. Um, but, uh, you know, getting even stronger on the semiconductor side, uh, on the electronics, uh, because electronics yeah. is, is an area which is, you know, quite challenging um, because it's different from a, um, let's say, from manufacturing processes perspective, uh, particularly the SMT, uh, surface mount yeah. technology. Um, uh, medical devices is still extraordinarily untapped. And okay. it's it's quite interesting. Um, there's still a number of uh, different applications that people think for medical devices that um, are kind of siloed applications, and they still have not many of them have not grasped the holistic perspective that an MES can bring. So there's still a lot okay. of growth growth potential in this in this area. Um, and what we call general discrete is actually a huge combination of different sectors that mm. may come from you know equipment manufacturing. Um, automotive, not not uh, OEMs, but you know tier tier one, tier two um, yeah. uh, type of uh, um, uh, manufacturers. So there's still a lot to grow in these in these areas. It's not out of the question that we'll go into more um, um, you know life sciences type of business beyond medical devices. Mm. Uh, but for the for the time being, there's still so much to grow in these areas um, yeah. that uh, it's better to you know go deep into into some of those and grow in, into into these. Um, you know, before opening up completely new new avenues, there's still a lot to be done, and um, it's it's incredible that it, you know on one side in many different sectors the MES has not got into, which is very surprising. Yeah. Um, and on the other side, on the more advanced type of uh, business, um, you'd be surprised like the MES is occupied, but sometimes it is occupied by solutions that are 40 years old, 30 years old, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Which is quite incredible, right? Um, and uh, there's a number, there's a number of uh, of uh, business companies where I where I go, business meetings where I go, and I have an old Nokia phone. I did not bring <laughs> it with me. And one of the things that I do when I put this on the table and say, "Your technology is from this era." <laughs> from this era. <laughs> exactly. And I show them my uh, my Nokia phone, um, and it kind of sets the scene for what they what they need to to know and uh, uh, how they can advance. No, it's interesting. And, and look, I really enjoyed the conversation, Francisco. So thanks so much for taking the time. Really Appreciate a pleasure. Your, yeah, busy guy. So uh, yeah, let's let's talk again soon. Thanks for, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. It was really a pleasure talking to you. Thank you.